program everybody you just stepped inside of psychotic bump school the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul my name is dj rome and i want to welcome you to another exciting edition of psychotic bump school so ladies and gentlemen tonight oh we have an amazingly full show oh across the country people are rallying in support of our asian brothers and sisters and that's a beautiful thing to see and we are covering it here on this show as we did last week and tonight's episode will be no different we have two guests coming in for the very first time from different parts of the country we have dr raquel martin licensed clinical psychologist out of nashville tennessee by way of philly she's going to be dropping by to talk to us about some of these incidents that have been happening over there in georgia even though she resides in tennessee but she's going to be breaking down the the business and the politics of mental health as we discuss emotional violence empathy Oh, and uh, just just the, the the prioritization of how mental health workers are valued in this country, especially in times where our support is needed to uh, discuss and articulate and provide supportive space for the clients that we see uh, during these very treacherous times. So Dr. Raquel Martin out of Nashville, Tennessee is joining us. Yes. And also joining us, I'm proud to welcome out of Atlanta. We have the amazing psychiatrist and certified sex therapist, Dr. Natalia Fuller. Dr. Fuller is going to be breaking down what sex addiction really is and what it really is not. Uh, the, the medical terminology, the, the, the controversy surrounding it, and how we can have an enlightened conversation about all aspects of this incident in Atlanta and how it intersects with the issues regarding mental health and addiction. So that's Dr. Natalia Fuller. That's Dr. Raquel Martin joining us this evening for Psychotic Bump School. So you might want to call your friends and family to the radio or the computer because we are about to set it off. So this is KCWGTheTruth.com. My name is DJ Rome. Welcome to Psychotic Bump School. say the man they have in custody admitted to opening fire inside three Atlanta area spas, appearing to blame his actions on a quote, sex addiction. But because six of the eight victims killed were women of Asian descent, many here and around the U.S. remain convinced that anti-Asian sentiment drove the murders. Hey guys, this is Dr. Natalia Fuller and you're listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome on KCWG thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. I got a bad bitch from Vogue, told her strike a pose, step to the side and look at them thighs. Beautiful. I got a Lambo, two doughs, two seaters, two Yokohamas, no Vogue, man. Beautiful champagne fountains, crib in the mountains, two mile long driveway, man. Beautiful. I got a condo up in the sky, before I figured I'd die, for I'm no lie, man. 
beautiful. Came up in the projects, dreaming about them mansions. With the white walls, flows like bowling balls. Mercy in my garage, cause it is supercharged. Wake up to a menage to get me a massage. Closet filled with designer, Donatella recliner, suede headliner, all that whipping China. I ain't talking Sprite when I say I need soda. Brought my first girl priest for 50 in the motor. They was beautiful, yeah, Mona Lisa. The streets introduced me to money. Nice to meet you. Ray Charles and these Ray Bands. Why? Yeah, I touch them keys with both hands. If I die, remember me like Don Columinati. Bury me on the left, right next to John Gotti. Play nothing but that music that yo got it. Tombstone ready to from nobody. I got a damn bitch from Vogue. Told a striker pose, step to the side and look at them fast. I got a Lambo, two doors, two seaters, two. Yokohama's no Vogue, man. Beautiful. Champagne fountains, crib in the mountains, two mile long driveway, man. Beautiful. I got a color up in the sky, before I fake it, I die. For him, no lie, man. Beautiful. Mirror, mirror. In my garage, tell me which Lambo I should park at the Lamentage. Pull up at the Mirage, it's Phantoms and Mozzies out here. Expensive taste, my car is camouflage. Speaking of camouflage, y'all be the camouflage. Just drove through Savannah, Georgia, that's beautiful. And it's 4 5, it's unusual. Push your back like nail shops do cuticles. Snowman, tell these. That we living in front yard like a soccer field and we kicking it. Sick condos, pocket full of rondos. As long as El Segundo, cheesy like Versace, so we rented out the mansion. Fing European model, skin white as Marilyn Manson. Came a long way from a first advancement. Test drive a new Bugatti, hold that for ransom. I keep me a jack model, keep a black bottle, meal ticket wrapped in plastic. Keep some rose gold on my arm, bottle of Avion, FNH with the drum, man. Beautiful. Baby girl, she out of power, smooth with the powder, tats on her neck, straight Look. checks. Look. I got a condo up in the sky, before I fake it, I die. Before no lie, man. Okay, we are back. KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, as you know, we are experiencing a bit of a fusion type moment again in this country. Not that it's ever uh, been far out of mind and eye and soul, but what's happening to our Asian brothers and sisters has created once again an opportunity for this country to really shed light on these issues, okay? So we, we had this incident in Atlanta with uh, this young man, 21-year-old white male who shot and killed eight people, six or seven of them, were Asian women, and he claimed that he was experiencing an addiction, and in his mind, he wanted to eliminate that temptation. So what is that all about? There's some deeper implications there. Uh, how much of it involves addiction? How much of it involves um, a racial under and overtone? So um, some of these issues we're gonna be breaking down throughout this program, but I have a guest on the line right now that is from the East Coast, on the south side of the United States, and I'd like to hear all about it from her. Uh, she's obtained her undergraduate degree in psychology with a minor in neuroscience. She's currently a certified sex therapist, 
by the American Association of Sex Educators, Counselors, and Therapists, and I am so glad she's joining us for this discussion. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, our good sister, Dr. Natalia Fuller. Dr. Fuller, are you there? Hi, yes, I'm here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, what a pleasure it is. So you specialize in this work. And so I'm just wondering, as an Atlantan, you are in Atlanta, correct? I am. Of Atlanta. So as an Atlantan, can you just speak as a woman, as a citizen of the world, citizen of your community? When you saw the news reports come about uh, what happened in, in your beautiful city, uh, what went through your mind first as a woman, then we'll talk clinically as a, as a therapist. Can you talk to us about that a little bit? Absolutely. Um, just as a human being and as a woman, um, my heart definitely reaches out for the Asian community and what has happened. Um, I was really shocked because especially when they said mentioned the sex addiction part, of course, that caught my attention at first. I thought, you know, well, this is a terrorist attack. And right. then when they started using the word sex addiction, um, you know, mental health issues, of mm -hmm. course, my clinical hat came on and I was interested to see you know who had diagnosed him or where this diagnosis came from right. um and upon doing my own research i found that you know he had already been rehab um for sex addiction mm. and so um as a woman you know my first thought without having my clinical hat on was we experience so much brutality as women whether being sexually assaulted molested um, we have a lot of women have experienced sexual trauma um, on a continuous basis throughout the United States, throughout the country, um, internationally as well. And, you know, it's mind blowing to me because it's like, what are we, what do we have to teach our sons to make sure that this doesn't happen on a continuous basis as therapists, as psychiatrists, as psychologists, what do we need to go over with men? Because, for some reason in this country, it is, I mean, it's its spreading. There are more and more cases every day that women are getting abused um, and are just becoming targets for men. Yeah, yeah, it's sad. And has that spiked uh, since the onset of coronavirus in your area? Um, yeah, so there were, I remember when um, coronavirus first happened, um, there was a huge increase in abuse and the police being called over domestic violence. Mm, yeah. And so I want to talk to you about that because I think, unfortunately, coronavirus has uh, created opportunities for some really unhealthy patterns to reemerge. Um, Absolutely. I'm glad, I'm glad you found some things about this guy. Um, and and I, I dare I say I, I don't want to humanize him, but I want to give some shed some light on this condition that he might be dealing with because the the initial reports came out um, were disturbing. Uh, right. Of course, people who have their you know political agendas or whatever or motives uh, were concerned about the the way the sheriff characterized the incident, saying that this guy had a bad day. And I'm purposely, I'm glad I can't think of his name right now, the the, the perpetrator, because we don't need to give him any more light. No, absolutely. And, and, and that's one thing that really sickens me about this country. And I think Samuel, the actor Samuel Jackson actually um, stated in the documentary that the reason why um, people even feel the need sometimes to do these things is because it's glamorized. If yes. you look at, even in my line of work, when I was an undergraduate, I did a whole th thesis on a serial killer. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of these serial killers, they're known. You know, people know who Jeffrey Dahmer is. You know, people yes. know who these people, they did a whole Netflix series on Ted Bundy. And so when mm-hmm. you have people that are sick or evil, I really want to use the word evil in a lot of sense because not okay. everything is mental illness and mental health. I think some people can be inherently evil. Mm, okay. And when you, and I feel like sometimes we use the excuse of, mental Mm. illness or mental health to let people get away with certain behavior because Mm -hmm. most people would prefer to go to um, a mental health facility than to go to prison or jail. So that's the first thing in a lot of cases that you see lawyers try and do is, oh, well, let's say they have mental illness. Let's say, you know, they're bipolar or they're dealing with Mm -hmm. severe depression. So we have to be very careful with that because there are people that are really dealing with those issues. And then there are some people that are, that are just inherently evil. Oh, yes. Well, I'm glad you are able to call it that and and name it for for what it is, because it it is just pure, unadulterated evil. So what have you been able to find out about this case? Can can we have a discussion, Dr. Fuller, about what is sex addiction? What is that? What are its characteristics? What does it look like? And how much of a factor was it? Do you feel it was in this particular incident in Atlanta? So I want to first uh, put a disclaimer. I am not this man's psychiatrist. I can't remember his name. Um, I'm not his psychiatrist, nor do I know him, nor have I ever analyzed him. So this is just my own professional opinion that I'm giving. So I first want to state that. Um, So sex addiction is extremely, um, it has a lot of controversy around it. Um, It's even been excluded from the fifth edition of the DSM-5. That's diagnosis and statistical manual of mental disorders the dsm is what we call it mm-hmm. um, because a lot of psychiatrists feel like you can't really diagnose a sex addiction so by definition what is a sex addiction for those who don't know um, a sex addiction a sex addiction excuse me mm-hmm. is described as a compulsive need to perform sexual acts in order to achieve the kind of fix that a person with the alcohol use disorder gets from drinking or somebody with the opioid use disorder. So it's a compulsive sexual behavior. Okay. Okay. So, you know, one of the things um, when I was watching CNN that one of the psychiatrists um, on there from Columbia University was saying as to why they, we don't as psychiatrists um, like to have sex addiction in the DSM is a lot because of the neurobiological evidence of addiction. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of research on people that gamble, that consume drugs or alcohol, but there's not a lot of research done on people who are identified as sex or porn addicts. Yes. Yes. And so, I'm guessing for obvious reasons, because of the, the nature of that particular uh, compulsion is, is something that people have a, a high degree of shame about sharing and disclosing. Exactly. More so than alcohol. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, there are people who struggle and that's where I come in as a sex therapist. I I, I assist people who struggle with healthy sexuality who may feel guilty of it or ashamed of their normal sexuality. So, you know, there's a concern that if you say that there's something called sex addiction, that a lot of people who really don't have it will start to think that their sexuality or their sexual urges are not healthy. So I think they're still trying to draw that line between healthy and unhealthy sexual urges. Mm -hmm. And I will say, you know, 
I get DMs about this all the time. Like, oh, I think I have a masturbation addiction. I think I have this addiction. We're very quick to label ourselves because that's what society is teaching us that we all have these complex issues. Mm-hmm. Um, but I tell people all the time, you know, sexual urges that violate the rights of uh, other people can, yeah. can be easily classified as pathological. But if you're mm-hmm. simply saying you have a high sex drive, which leads you to watch a lot of pornography or to pay for sex, it's a lot harder to label that um, because you're not really violating the rights of others. Mm. If you're paying for it, you're not really violating the rights of others. Is that what I heard you say? Yes. So if you're if you're paying for sex, if you're watching porn, because sex workers. I'm not talking about molestation and rape sex workers Mm -hmm. that a lot of them, that is their job. You know, that is they consider that a line of work. Yes. So for them, you know, they they don't like to be called uh, a lot of them don't like to be called prostitutes and stuff like that. They like to be yeah. called I'm a sex worker. This is what I do for a job. And if you speak to a lot of them, they have I mean, they enjoy what they do mm-hmm. for those that are doing it for the reasons that they want to do it, not people that are forced. That's human trafficking. And I think a lot of people get sex traffic, uh, sex workers, yes. excuse me, and human trafficking mixed up. Absolutely. Human trafficking, they're doing it. They're they're being forced to do it. A sex yes. worker, that is her line of work. That's like a profession, like porn. You know, mm-hmm. I tell people all the time we have this love-hate relationship with porn, but porn can be seen as actors. You know, that is their mm-hmm. line of work. That mm-hmm. is what they're they, they are actors and they are acting, they are putting on a performance. Absolutely. Now, I I hope I associated you properly at the beginning. You're also a psychiatrist. You can actually prescribe. Am I correct? Yes, that is correct. I mean, did I say psychiatrist? Yes, psychiatrist as well as a a sex therapist. Exactly. Okay, so you know this stuff quite well. So when people kind of lump all of those together in terms of human trafficking, sex work, and they criminalize the people that do that type of work, um, how much does that factor into people in society who might be suffering and, and are vulnerable and susceptible to their addictions, especially during the time of coronavirus when these things kind of thrive and for a period people were kind of you know shut down and hunkered in for a right. period, working from home or whatever. Now, in what ways does that perception that they're all the same, whether they're human trafficked or they're voluntarily doing sex work, how, in what way does that fuel this this notion of fetishizing uh, the women that work there? Can you speak to us about that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. So it is a very thin line. I'm not I'm not going to lie because, um, you know, a lot of the sex workers that I have worked with or spoken to, um, you know, they have been uh, molested or raped or some type sort of sexual assault. So um, you can say a lot of them might get into the work voluntarily. Some of them get into the work because, you know, they feel like that's all they have to offer, you know, or they that's just exactly what they want to do. Or their past has led them into that journey to do that. Mm. But at the moment, they're not being forced. So that's why I tell people, you know, anytime you're forced to do something um, sexually, that's molestation. That's being um, trapped, sex trafficked. But if you're choosing to work in this field and you're happy with what you're doing, that's the difference. If you're if you're paying for someone that is willingly going 
not forced, not where they have a pimp or anything like that. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. And I feel like most men and women can tell the difference. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of times it can become confusing with our own thoughts and perception on how we feel that things should be. Mm. We don't feel feel like women should sell their body. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Right. We we don't don't because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't, you know, we don't, we don't feel like women should sell their bodies. But if you look at it, sex workers have been around since Alexander the Great. You know, there it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's prostitution, you know, sex working, all that has been around for a very, very long time, over 100 years. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the history of it, that's the main thing, looking at the history of it. And then if people are being forced to do something that they don't want to do, and I think what individuals that have sex addiction or individuals um, that in his case are mentally ill and then they also have the sexual addiction, the lines become blurred because if we're being completely honest, regardless of his sex addiction, there was no reason for him to to kill people. Mm. (laughs) Speak on that. Okay, because there's a whole lot of people that are suffering from what they're dealing with. Right. But they're not compelled to go out and uh, commit mass murder. Right. So. Right. How much of that can I mean, does that hold water when when people say that this is why he did what he did to eliminate this, quote unquote, temptation that these these women working here were such an allure for him that he was unable to to tame that rising tide of his, his, uh, I don't know, his desire, his compulsion. How did, how did you describe it? It's a compulsion when, when they're, the sex drive is sort of unhealthily compelling them to a certain type of behavior. Is that how you describe it? Yeah. Yep. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, it would be a compulsion, but I think the issue that I have with this, and like I said, I don't, I hate yeah, <laughs> I do not like to uh, yeah. read stories like this, but I'm yeah. so I'm very conscious and I'll tell people you have to protect your own mental health. So mm-hmm. be very careful with I, I don't watch the news that much. I'm going to be honest because I deal with things like this on a regular basis. So mm-hmm. a lot of times, you know, dealing with it in real life and watching the news can be detrimental to my own mental health and self-care. Right. So I'm very mm-hmm. careful about what I feed myself and the type of energy I'm allowing in. Yes. But when I did read on this, um, and the reason why I caught my attention was just because, I mean, one, you know, you ha- it happened right here in Atlanta in our backyard. Yeah. And two, you know, you have all these innocent women that have um, unfortunately been killed. But then when they throw out the sex addiction, I- I'm going to play um, devil's advocate a little bit mm-hmm. because sure. the issue that I have with our society, especially when it comes to white males, is mm-hmm. them throwing out mental illness and any type of addiction and my thing is uh, upon arresting this man i mean yes it's true he might have a sexual addiction because they said in the past um that he had actually been kicked out of his family's home because of the sex addiction because Mm -hmm. they would catch him watching pornography he had actually went to a rehabilitation facility for it so it is evident that he has a sexual addiction but why is that the first thing that they threw out there immediately Mm -hmm. because He's a white male because when you yeah. see any other people, they're terrorists Come and different on. things like that, mm-hmm. but they don't throw out, oh, well, he had mental health or a couple years ago, he might've seen a psychiatrist or he had a psychiatric breakdown. It's not, you. it's only with white males. Do they immediately state 
the issues that they're having. And we see this time and time again. I have so many examples. I'm not going to throw them out there, but we oh. see this time and time again. But mm. even if someone does have an addiction or they have a mental illness, and I work with people with addictions and mental illness, they, their need to kill other people, mm-hmm. I don't see that. Don't see it. They don't, they don't tell me, oh, well, you know what, Dr. Fuller, I'm so upset today. I'm having a manic episode for my patients that are bipolar. I think I'm just going to act on my impulse and go kill individuals. Mm-hmm. Not typical. Exactly. Not typical at all. So when society creates this narrative that, oh, well, people with mental illness, you know, if they have a mental illness or they have an addiction, you know, they might have that impulse to kill or harm others. We're creating a false reality because that is not how it typically is. You know what? I mean, I know you said you didn't, you you have examples that you, you won't name, but the George Floyd case right now is well it's the Derek Chauvin case the the, the cop that yes uh, knelt on him and what they're trying to do Dr. Fuller is they're trying to not humanize George Floyd in this prosecution or the, right. the defense they're trying to bring up his old arrests they're not yep. trying to describe his previous treatment they're not trying to humanize him in a way that gives credence to his humanity that he was a human being with a little girl and a family and people that loved him. But you're right. As soon as a white male comes into the fray and commits a heinous act like this, all of a sudden uh, we want to extend kid gloves and say he was a boy and he was the 21 year old man. And yet, and still uh, they want to downplay the seriousness of what he's done. But this is KCWG, the truth.com's program's called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're speaking with Dr. Natalia Fuller. She's a psychiatrist and a certified sex therapist in Georgia. So I was speaking about, because <laughs> one thing you said at the top of this was really resonating with me too. It's like doing this work, you don't want to analyze somebody if they're not your client. Right. Absolutely. And you don't want to break somebody down in terms of, you know, it may look a certain way from a certain distance. Having seen enough patients on your own, it may look a certain way because you know what to look for. But unless you're in their file, you really, truly can't confirm it. Right. But at the same time, that is correct. That's correct. Right. But at the same time, certain things look a certain way. And the perception that people try to create despite that is that it's something other than what it is. And I, I'm still stuck on this point. I'm, I'm going to move on, but I'm, I'm stuck right here because something akin to like the, the crack epidemic, epidemic versus the opioid addiction to where yes. they, yep. they wanted to get people hooked on opioids, help and assistance and counseling and resources and services. Mm-hmm. Whereas they wanted to criminalize people that were, you know, smoking marijuana or what have you. So- the parallels are very, very blatant. Um, any thoughts on that? Just the parallels and the overlap, I guess, is what I'm getting at. The overlap between when these issues emerge in the the media hemisphere and it becomes politicized in a way where people try to either uh, tilt it a certain way rather than analyze it factually and do the work like you've done to research into the, the what are's and what are not <laughs> with this particular man's case. Can you speak to that a little bit? Uh, <laughs> oh God, who, you know, you get my blood boiling when we talk about <laughs> addiction versus, I mean, and there's actually, I think a documentary on Netflix that people have been talking about. I haven't watched it yet, but, mm. um, recently, if you're very interested in reading a very good order article, um, 
NCBI, Culture, Medicine, and Psychiatry. I regularly read their articles. Um, they're very lengthy, but they're very insightful. But they have an article called The War on Drugs That Wasn't Wasted Whiteness, Dirty Doctors, and Race in Media Coverage of Prescription Opioid Misuse. That's a title? Yes, that is the title. What? I love it. I, yes. <laughs> oh, wow. And that's why I like it, because they talk about how with the opioid epidemic, because it was mostly Caucasians mm -hmm. using it, mm -hmm. that they wanted to help them. Like you said, they wanted to provide a safe haven for them. And there's a media fascination with the white prescription opioid versus the African-Americans, the black and brown people that were using heroin and crack and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. they actually go into detail about the... Um, the crack cocaine addiction in the 80s and 90s. Um, they even talk about, they touch on a little bit of how it might have actually been dropped into our, forced into our community. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that Netflix points out how this was actually something that the government may or may not have already known about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. they talk really in depth about that and about how, you know, people were locked up for having addictions in the black community. Right. They were given jail time for this, for having an addiction. Mm -hmm. But versus the opioid addiction, it's very, there's yeah. less of a, I won't say people weren't locked up, but there's less mm -hmm. of a percentage that were locked up if they were Caucasian and had an opioid addiction. Yeah, or oh, they're just having a bad day. So let's, you know, get show them love. But if they're black, if they're not white, then no, y'all can't have no bad day, right? Exactly, exactly. You can't, you, you're you not allowed to have a bad day if you're oh black, apparently. When I come through, hit them with the one two. You need it, I will front you. Turn it to a sunrise. Gather all your plans. Tell them that you love them. So if it all crash, you know you got your lunch crumb. But right now we gon' celebrate. We leaving behind hella hate. We tell her, hey, the back up, back up On the dance floor, dance floor Even in my room, I turn into a dance club, dance club, yeah Young is the life More skin is the life Yes I don't know why I It's so intoxicate, man You don't know why you do what you do It's so Yes So Breaking the law, it's always too much for me to ever ignore. I got a thing for them big body benzes, it goes my senses. In love with a V dub engine, man, I'm high off life, and I'm wasted. Baby, eight kicks, all the marble K wrists. My women friend get tennis bracelets. Trips to Venice, get they winners replaced with the sun. It ain't even fun no more, I'm jaded. Man, it's just a game, I just play it to play it. I put my feet in the footprints left to me without saying the word. Ghetto's got a mental telepathy Man, my brother hustles so naturally Up next is me And what perplexes me I know how this movie ends Still I play Star rolling Hovito's way It's just life I solemnly swear Change my approach Stop shaving Stay away from me. Put down the toes Cause I be doing the most Oh no But every time I felt bad was that They called me right back Call me right back, man. They call me right back. Oh no! I'm like a Russian mobster drinking the steel vodka until I'm under the field with Hoffa. It's real. 
pillar top of like a toupee Mix the water with the soda, turn the pot up, make a souffle All of y'all can get it like group page in your two ways I'm living proof that crime do pay so say hooray to the bad guy and all the broads Putting cars in their name for the stars of the game Putting in their bras and their tomorrows on the train All in the name of love just to see that love locked in chains And the family came over the house to take back Everything that they claim Even the worst pain is the distress Learning you're the mistress Only after that love gets slain And the anger and the sorrow mixed up Leaves the mistrust Now it gets tough to ever love a game But the allure of the game Keeps calling your name All the Lauras in the world I feel your pain All the Christies in every cities and Tiffany lanes We all hustlers in love with the same thing It's just life I solemnly swear Change my approach, stop shaving, stay away from Put down the toast, cause I be doing the most Oh no But every time I felt bad was that It called me right back It called me right back Man, it called me right back Oh no I never felt more alive than ride shotgun And Klein's green five until the cops pull guns And I try to smoke they give me the fix I need But the game did to my post With no results And you can treat your nose It still won't come close The game is a light bulb With 11 million volts And I'm just a mom Addicted to the flaws When the doors look from the floor And the tops come off By any means necessary Whatever the cost Even if it means lives is lost And I can't explain why I just love to get Drink light, smoke the blueberry sky Blink twice I'm in the blueberry five You blink three times I may not even be alive I mean, James Dean couldn't escape the alarm Dying young, leaving a good-looking corpse Cause, I solemnly swear Change my approach, stop shaving Stay away from me. Put down the toast, cause I be doing the most Oh no But every time I felt bad was that They called me right back They called me right back Man, they called me right back Oh no It's the life. Once again, it's the life. Think about your work in uh, your industry. How pervasive is sexual addiction among black men and black women, uh, communities of color? Uh, how pervasive is this issue? See, it's, it's a bit tricky. Um, I really actually right now only have one individual that I work with that I would say has a quote unquote um, sex addiction. Mm -hmm. And we have to be very careful. I understand why they took it out of the DSM mm -hmm. um, because it is very tricky to diagnose because a lot of times with sex addictions, it's like it's it's not as clear cut as like an alcohol or a drug addiction. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, you're like, okay, do I have a sex addiction because I seek out multiple sex partners? Well, maybe you just have a sex drive, a high sex drive, and that's what you want to do. Um, so when people come to me and they're like, oh, I have a sex addiction, we really have to dig deep because masturbating every day cannot be classified as a sex addiction. Just because mm-hmm. you watch porn or pornography, excuse me, um, or you like to be in sexually stimulated situations does not all, always classify. So where it kind of where we get into the sex addiction is when it starts to affect your daily life. When you are leaving work to go watch porn or to do sexual acts in your car. When, you know, yeah. So that is more so how we start to classify it. Mm -hmm. When you have to perform sexual acts multiple times a day and literally you have the urge, you're unable to control your behavior and your urge. And that is a, where that yeah that's a sign right yeah you're having that chronic upset um, obsessive sexual thoughts and fantasies um you're lying to cover your behaviors you don't you have the inability inability to stop or control the behaviors you're feeling remorse or guilty after sex um you're experiencing that negative um self-image about yourself or you're putting yourself in danger due to sexual behavior mm-hmm. you know to catch stds hiv aids so mm-hmm. that's where, you know, it starts to, okay, this person might have a sexual addiction. Mm-hmm. And as far as in our community, um, it's kind of hard to judge because I will say therapy now in the Black community is just becoming, I don't want to say popular, but more prevalent. Mm-hmm. Where I think that now that we have so many individuals talking about it in our community, I mean, now we have rappers speaking on it. We have... Um, Charlemagne the God, he's a huge advocate for um, mental health. So now that we have more popular people speaking on on social media, we have more individuals saying, you know what, I might have an issue here. I might have an issue here. You know, maybe I need to seek help. Mm, Absolutely. But as far as the numbers, I don't quite know the numbers on how many people have been um, diagnosed with this, with sexual addiction. Mm. Uh, very fascinating. Um, I'm wondering, because I was thinking as I was listening to you speak, the, the impact, I hear the impact on if, if you're working and you have to go uh, excuse yourself to, to go to your car or what have you. And I was yes. thinking socially, what, what does it do socially to relationships? Uh, how does it impact if, if you're married, married couples? Uh, do we see, is there research out there that indicates any level of presence in uh, married couples who have been in long-term relationships? Mm. So there are a couple of studies that I've read. Um, I'm trying to think some of the scholarly articles that I've read. um, There's, there's actually not a whole lot though, because I've only read a couple Mm -hmm. like attachment Mm -hmm. styles and male sex addiction, um, treating people with sex addiction, but sex addiction, it, it really can't like any addiction. It can really, tear family families apart mm-hmm. um, because you have people that don't believe that it's a real addiction so then you have some people that are like okay this is not real you can stop at any time and even I think the first person I ever heard celebrity wise talk about a sex sex addiction was um Kirk Franklin he had a pornography oh. addiction oh okay and this was years ago I think this was back when I was like had to be over like 10 or 15 years ago. He was one of the Mm -hmm. first people I heard talk about that he Mm -hmm. had a pornography addiction. Mm -hmm. So it can cause relationship, career, and personal issues. 
Um, it's obvious to the people who are dealing with it, you know, that are out of control with their sexual behavior, that they need to build a plan and they have to have a support system. Mm-hmm. But the partners of the sex addicts need just as much assistance in overcoming the consequences of, of the sex addiction. Um, mm-hmm. And a lot of times they don't understand it because they're like I said, they took it out the DSM. Um, a lot of my colleagues that are psychiatrists, they don't really feel that it is. It is a real addiction in a sense. They, they acknowledge mm-hmm. the fact that people struggle with this, mm-hmm. but it's very hard to diagnose. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't realize that. And its absence from the DSM is an indicator of that, that they must have been getting into some really murky waters when it was in there. Right. Trying to, yes. you know what I mean? So, yes. wow. So how do you treat it, Dr. Fuller? Um, is it, Do you treat it with therapy? Do you treat it with uh, abstinence? Is it prayer? Is it, <laughs> how do you work with someone who uh, is experiencing this phenomenon? Honestly, um, all of those things that you really just mentioned, um, a lot of times, depending on the individual, the religious background, um, typically, of course, we start off with um, therapy. Mm-hmm. So there are different, there are actually 12-step programs that help with sex addiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have inpatient programs that offer sex addiction recovery. And often people with sex addiction um, are removed from their daily lives because clearly your daily life is conducive to this behavior. So Mm -hmm. there are programs for at least 30 days to help them regain control of their impulses and start healing. Um, Like I said, there's a program such as uh, SAA, Sex Addiction Anonymous, which is, Mm -hmm. they follow the same recovery model as AA, Alcoholic Mm -hmm. Anonymous. So they are required to give up sex entirely. Um, They're encouraged to refrain from, you know, destructive sexual behavior. There's group meetings, Um, also cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, This Mm -hmm. type of therapy can help a person identify triggers for sexual impulses and ultimately teach them how to alter their behavior. So you would Mm -hmm. do that with a licensed mental health therapist. Um, Also medication. Um, A lot of the patients that I deal with, if they do have some sort of sexual impulse, um, certain antidepressants might help alleviate those urges. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, those are the main Um, things that we typically use. Um, And then, of course, we try and involve the family as well. Oh, yeah, that's very powerful. Now, I'm thinking if someone is at that point, perhaps, and they're... Well, maybe not necessarily, because how often are they involved in the legal system in terms of have they committed a crime as a result of their addiction? Have they gotten caught in lewd acts or behavior, typically, if they're um, being recommended or referred to recovery groups? See, and see, that's the difference. That's where it becomes murky, because Mm. people that like to, like, expose themselves in public, Um, that's a bit different. They actually aren't classified as having um, a sex addiction. Mm. So typically um, a lot of people that are classified as having a sex addiction, they're not exposing themselves. They're not into um, exposing themselves in publics and and different things like that. Yeah. Exhibitionism. They're not Mm. um, into that. So more so a lot of them, it's family members or their girlfriends Um, that realize that they have a problem or themselves, they realize that they have a problem because they don't want to be discovered. And people that 
like to expose themselves in public, um, that gives them a rush. Like that turns them on. Mm. Mm-hmm. Or people that like to watch other people have sex. Mm-hmm. That's a bit different. Um, mm. So those type of people, they're more public with it because that public being out in the public and seeing those type of things is what gets them sexually charged. But but people with sexual addiction, they more so are behind closed doors. They don't want people to know. They don't want to be exposed. Mm -hmm. Um, So they're typically not doing, they might go, you know, hire a sex worker or they might go to sex salons, um, saloons, different things like that. But typically Mm -hmm. they're not going to be caught by police or, you know, they might try and do things in their car, but they're trying to be discreet about it where they're not being caught by colleagues. Okay. Now, is there any breakdown that you're aware of where it breaks down across gender lines? Is this far more pervasive among men? And what about age demographic? Is this an issue more so with younger men or women, women versus older men and women? Do you have any idea about what the, those breakdowns are? So sex addiction, they say the sexual behaviors that lead um, that become problematic typically start are for young men between the ages of 18 to 25 mm-hmm. because they don't even realize that they occur. Yeah. So there's several factors that come into play during this stage of life um, that can kind of be identified as treating the condition um, mm-hmm. because it's seen as normal for men to masturbate. It's seen as normal for men to watch pornography. Right. right. So it's not, you don't have anyone teaching you when you're 12 or 14, whatever age you start, the average usually is like 10 to 12 to say, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing it this many times a day. It's like they're they're learning. Right. So, right. Um, it, now, there aren't a lot of studies on women and sexual addiction. So I really mm-hmm. don't have that information um, because it's typically mostly centered around in yeah. young adult males. Yep. Yep. And what about the conditioning that happens early on? Because you remember, I don't know if they're still doing it, but they've made vaping. I I don't smoke, but they've made vaping really attractive to teenagers. Yep. Like they they put it in really pretty bubblegum like (laughs) wrapping. Yes. I remember that. You know what I'm saying? And make it irresistible Mm -hmm. for them. It's like they want to buy it and try it and experiment it. Experiment they with did the it. same thing with cigarettes when cigarettes first. Yes, mm-hmm. exactly, exactly. So now you got people becoming addicted addicted to those things. And then what about and right. when we we talk about sex addiction and you know distinguishing that from more healthier expressions of people's sexuality or sexual you know desires, and you think right. about how it might be conditioned. And I can't think of a better word right now, but if there are okay i'm i'm leading up to a question there was a battle on twitter the other day between candace owens if you know people on this show yes know candace yes i know owens. who she is <laughs> <laughs> and uh cardi cardi b and she's been highly critical of her wap video as she is okay. with anything that is deemed you know uh, urban <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah, anything urban. And so the the argument, of course, centers around, you know, Georgia, you know, before this last election, Dr. Fuller was considered a conservative state, right? Even though right. this blue phenomenon that's happening now, it, it's been long in coming, you know, for quite some time. And I'm glad Georgia is finally blue. But it's generally, uh, I don't know if that's considered the Bible Belt, but it is the South. 
Yes, it definitely is the South. Okay, so conservatism used to be a hallmark there. And the, the idea that um, people were concerned about people expressing themselves in a certain kind of way mm-hmm. and popularizing it and making it commonplace to see scantily clad women in music videos. Right. Um, and making or knowing full well that people under age who weren't consenting adults were going to be watching and right. little girls are going to be watching. And so they're going to be growing up expecting that this is what is expected of them as they go right. into their, you know, emerging relationships. And so what are, are there any what can you think of any factors that are conditioning men that pornography is not only the best or only option for them or outlet for them if they are perhaps struggling with um, self-confidence or mm-hmm. just, just, the, just the idea that they know how to meet and greet in a mature adult-like way, treat women with respect without objectifying them. What, mm-hmm. can, can, can you talk to us a little bit about some of those things out there that are conditioning men, young men, to not seek out uh, those avenues of being gentlemanly and cordial versus fetishizing and objectifying women? That was a lot, but <laughs> can, no, I, can you talk yeah. to me about that a little bit? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. Um, porn, you know, it, this is my thing with you know the things that you've stated the issue is is we have to start young so we've taken sex education out of school I, when i was i'm 33 okay when i was in middle school and high school sex education was still in the classroom at least it's, i'm a military brat so i've traveled around quite a bit um, but the schools mm. that i went to they still had sex education where they talk to us about sex and we've taken that out now we have either yeah. absent absent based absent only programs mm-hmm. um which if you look at statistics teen pregnancy is on the rise so these mm-hmm. kids are out here engaging in sexual activities you have 12 year olds middle schoolers giving blowjobs now that's mm-hmm. how it starts so mm-hmm. we're clearly as a society not doing our job with our kids so where does it start do you blame the school system do you blame the parents i blame both because i okay. feel like if we have the take on we're supposed to work as a community, then the school, the teachers and the parents have to learn to work together. We need to have sex education back in the schools Mm. because these kids are doing it anyway. They're going to do it. They're curious. They don't know. And uh, there's a high percentage of kids that typically learn about sex through what? Porn. That is almost everyone that I know when I ask my friends, how'd you first learn about sex? It typically wasn't their parents. It was books. We were reading those Zane books (laughs) that we had no Mm -hmm. business reading, myself included. Um, I used to sneak them. Mm -hmm. Uh, But my parents, they did talk to me about sex. I knew about sex at a very young age because my parents, they did have that conversation and they they made it based on my age. So, you know, we started with good touch, bad touch when I was a baby or a toddler. Um, and then every couple of years, they would get more in depth about what sex was, the emotions behind sex, and they really educated me. Um, but I don't see that happening a lot of times. So when your child is getting their sex education and learn and their self-esteem and their confidence from HBO and music videos and right. what they're seeing on social media, then we're going to have more 
kids that are sexually promiscuous. Um, We're going to have more quote unquote people that are addicted to sex and sexually frustrated um, Mm -hmm. because you have men that feel like, okay, well, I don't know how to talk to women. I'm not Mm -hmm. good looking like this guy. I don't have a six pack. And then Mm -hmm. we might start having more issues Whereas people feel like they can now take control. If they can't have control of their own life, I'm going to take control of somebody else's life. And then that's where they go out and they kill people. Yes. That's where they kidnap people. That's where they start raping women because there was a study and I don't know the name of it. I can look it up. Um, There was a study done a couple years ago where they, um, I think U.S. UCLA, excuse me, Um, they partnered with University of Arizona and a couple other schools where they went across the U.S. and they did a survey just for males between the 18, the ages, excuse me, of 18 and 22. And they asked them about rape and sexual assault. Do you know that they had such a high percentage of males that didn't even know the difference between consent and Mm -hmm. them raping a female? They thought that if their girlfriend was drunk, that they could still have sex with her. Even if she was passed out, that was okay because she was their girlfriend. They Mm. thought that if a woman said no, that no really meant yes because in Mm. porn, that's what you see. Oh, no, I don't want to have sex. But then they're having sex with a female. Mm. So that confusion. Mm -hmm. And so they realized that there is a rape culture around this where young men have no clue what consent is. They don't know. They're confused about their own sexual being and how to express themselves and how to ask for consent because Mm -hmm. they're not taught through their parents. Mm -hmm. They're not taught in school. So they're getting this from social media. They're getting this from social outlets. Yeah. Yeah. And that's problematic because, as you said, once sex education was removed from the schools, that took away a very valuable component that could assist families with having those very potentially uncomfortable conversations. And if you don't know how to do it in an age appropriate way, uh, as your parents did with you, then I guess it ends up being a conversation that you just altogether avoid, right? And then just leave it to chance that people will just figure it out, especially with guys, because, you know, as you said, Dr. Fuller, you're absolutely right. This is Dr. Natalia Fuller, a psychiatrist and sex educator out of Georgia. And uh, she's breaking down some stuff with us on Psychotic Bump School, KCWG, thetruth.com. I'm DJ Rome. Uh, we have you here longer than I intended, but this, this conversation became really, really entrenched. And I appreciate your time uh, to talk about these issues in a very serious way. You know, it's, 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 it's complicated. It's, uh, it's very serious. It's not a joke. It's not a game. And when people are being harmed, Dr. Fuller, yes. because yes. of miseducation and just a lack of of humanity that's extended to certain people who society deems as being uh, whatever you call it in this case, model minorities who, you know, are known for just keeping their head down and not complaining about anything. But no, we we can't continue to do this. And I I think it all starts with education and information, getting the right information. And I was leading up to a question, but I forgot it right now because I I think I think it's important (laughs) right now. What you educate people. So before we let you go, uh, can you talk about some of your resources? Uh, where can people go to, to get 
good healthy information that can feed their souls in a, in a healthy way and inform them so that they can avoid some of these pitfalls that we've been talking about today. Can you talk to us about that a little bit before we let Absolutely. you go? Absolutely. Um, so I just want to say for my parents, um, you know, it's so important. I know it can be very uncomfortable for you to talk to your child about sex, to talk to your child about their self-esteem, but it, it's more imperative than ever for you to do that. Talk to your children about sex. There are books out there okay. that help you um, and I've actually been thinking about creating a book myself, um, mm. but there are books out there that can help you talk to your children, no matter what age they are, about sex and get on your child's level. Because if your child is already 14, I'm almost positive they know what sex is. I'm almost positive mm. that they've seen sex and these videos and, you know, just you really have to be in control of what your child is watching, what they're hearing. You can't control everything. We all realize that. Mm -hmm. But if you see them watching the WAP video with Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion, have a conversation to them about this. Get their feelings on it. How does this make them feel? What do they think about their own body compared to these grown women that they're seeing? And have a conversation with them. Mm -hmm. And... Um, if you're dealing with depression, if you're dealing with mental health um, or you feel like you might have some um, issues where you need to seek help, there are helplines. There's a national SAMHSA national helpline. Um, their phone number is 1-800-662-4357. And they help with people that might have like sexual addictions. Um, they help with people dealing with depression. Any issue they may have, they can put you in touch with mental health counselors and therapists. Mm -hmm. If you're in Atlanta, Georgia, NAMI is a great or organization. Mm. Um, I work a lot with them and they also provide uh, resources to people that need counseling. Um, N-A-M-I, NAMI, and their okay. phone number is 770-234-0855. If you still feel like, you know, you don't feel comfortable doing any of these things and you want to reach out to me, um, I can also provide you with some resources. I know counselors, mental health counselors that are more than willing to help. I can be reached at Dr. C-A-N-A-R-Y on Instagram, or you can hit me up and email me personally on my um, website at drdoctormbs.com. So hold my hands and dance with me tonight. You know they say we're all about to die. And maybe it's the love we all are trying to find. Who knows what lies is only by design. Hopefully you'll find what you need.
Hey, what's happening? This is Mark Maxwell, host of Rise, heard on KPFK. But right now, you're listening to one of my influences, the good brother DJ Rome on Psychotic Bump School. You know, the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. What's up? This is Dr. Raquel Martin, licensed clinical psychologist, and you are listening to Psychotic Bump School with your host, DJ Rome on KCWG, thetruth.com, the best internet radio station on the planet. This program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm very excited to welcome this next guest. She is a very dynamic presenter and speaker. And among all of her uh, 
palpable talent. She's also a licensed clinical psychologist currently in the South, but by way of Philly. She's out yeah. of Tennessee, y'all, and uh, she puts it down like no one's business. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome for the very first time to Psychotic Bump School, the good sister, Dr. Raquel Martin. Dr. Martin, I'm there. <laughs> What's going on? What in the world is happening in Nashville? Are, are you having a good time down in Nashville, Dr. Martin? Um, I mean, I have, I, I've been having a good time with crib. I, I'm not going nowhere in Nashville. <laughs> I know. So you just recently, relatively speaking, relocated there from the beautiful town of Philly. We were just talking about that. Uh, what are the key differences between Philly and Tennessee? Are there any? <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot less colored, sir. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> no. So when you talk about sex trafficking, because that, that's one area that you, you, you're specializing in? Yeah. Did I hear that correct? Okay. So what, what are some common misnomers about the sex trafficking industry as it relates to massage parlors, as it may connect a little to this incident we're talking about in Atlanta? Can you break some of those tropes down for us a little bit? I think there's also, there's a misconception even in like the language that we use, right? Okay. So individuals who have been victims of sex trafficking, um, they're the victims. So you mentioned a point of like um, mm -hmm. of the people, like identifying with the people. You have to also see them as people. That's right. You know, right? Like that gets to the right. empathy piece. Uh, right. And yeah. people, it's, it's difficult when we even take away the, the name of it. Like if we say sex traffickers instead of victims mm -hmm. of sex trafficking, people Thank identify you. with the fact that someone is a victim immediately. Thank you, yes. When you have yeah. the aspect of the fact that these, a lot of these individuals are ch children or people, for example, like I work in a child and adolescent facility. So these are individuals who have been victims of sex trafficking, but these are also people who have modeled behavior that has been done against them and they have exhibited problem sexualized behaviors. Mm -hmm. I have to correct people and say there's, they're not sex offenders. This, this kid is eight. Mm -hmm. They have exhibited problem sexualized behavior. Yes. This is something, and children model what is done on them. That's right. So like even just the language, because the, the issue is like, it's not humanized. It, 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 and you know, I, I see this, I saw this sign that was like, everyone's someone's son and everyone's someone's daughter and everyone's mm -hmm. someone's, I, you, you don't need to connect me with anyone else. You shouldn't have to connect me with another person to realize that I am human. Ooh, it doesn't matter that. who I'm connected to. It doesn't yeah. matter if I'm a mom. It doesn't yeah. matter if I am a son, a daughter. It doesn't matter. I am a human being. That's right. That's right. Great point. So you shouldn't, you know, none of that connection. So just even just being able to humanize things. And it's hard to humanize individuals when, once again, let's go to media. When in media and propaganda, you get, seen, you get all of these perceptions of things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's so sleight of hand that people don't even realize that they're doing it. I mean, look at this conversation we're having right now about just, just that small adjustment and just that piece of information to first humanize them as victims of sex trafficking rather than the sex trafficking uh, issue, right? I mean, that totally puts the whole issue in a, in a different light. And so, okay, so can you go a little bit further with that? Um, what connections do you see with that if it pertains to the uh, incident? I mean, I'm only asking you because, you know, I know you're in you know, a different region of the country, but this is a national mm -hmm. story. And so do you see any parallels between uh, the, the issues of sex trafficking and the, this uh, episode that happened in Atlanta? Oh yeah, I always see it. I mean, it's, I mean, that's why whenever, like even when people say, oh, what's the local mental health like? Listen, local is national. national. I haven't seen any issue that hasn't been the same everywhere. And not, mm -hmm. ask, not acknowledging the contributing factors that led to even the, placing of a massage parlor right like, let's let's think about this mm -hmm. 
most of the time it's not an active choice. And I'm not even going to talk about, cause there are individuals who are sex workers who that is the choice of the career that they want to be in. And that is, that's your choice. I have nothing to say against that. That's why it's like, you're, you're a consenting sex worker. And I think a lot of people get into the point of like, how do you know that they're consenting? Even if they're saying it, there could be some integral harm that they have not un- unsheathed. And that's why they decide that that's what they can do. But that's not for me to decide. My decide is you said that you do this, you want to do this. That's a totally different realm. Okay. But in this aspect, we don't even get to the point of let's think about the things that made this possible, right? So you have all these things. There are also laws that that come out to um, against like individuals who identified as sex workers and things like that. How many times are we actually attacking the customers mm. of these facilities? Mm-hmm. If I am sitting here out here and I got a lemonade stand and I am trying to sell lemonade every single day for like two weeks and nobody comes, I'm shutting down the lemonade stand because I don't have a customer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we're so focused on the person like oh they shouldn't have been working there oh this is the job they choose jobs are made because of it's, it's supply and demand is it not it is so how are we not looking into that how much are we breaking down on on the the aspect of like individuals who said they they are not from america how did you get here how are we how are we not looking at the, the transportation services and how people are getting here mm-hmm. boat plane train automobile mm-hmm you know, how are we you, like everyone's talking? Like, of course, you want to focus on the human being and in protecting the human being. We also need to decrease this demand and, and, and increasing the demand. You have to make it so that it is to the point where you it's not not punitive, but people need to be punished for this. Oh, so one, we need to we need to also protect the individuals who are who are in that realm and make sure. And there are plenty of people in mental health who dedicate themselves to, you know, providing service and of course the people will say like this is just a regular massage parlor but at least they know that they're there right mm-hmm. i saw something about this in specifically in california about women who like they actively go out they actively get food and condoms and stuff like that and then people are just like oh i'm fine i'm safe and they're like okay you're perfectly safe but if you ever feel like you're not safe you heard my information just mm-hmm. understanding that right but it's, it's a, it, like how much are we attacking the demand right if nobody's coming to my freaking lemonade stand, I look like boo-boo the darn fool. Keep trying to sell lemonade, honey. Like, this is not where it's at. Well, How many people are getting punished for this? Yeah. Robert Kraft, you're making me think about the owner of the New England Patriots. He got arrested in a sting operation. And, you know, of course, I, I, I doubt that he faced serious uh, consequences for it. But you're absolutely right. I mean, he's a high-profile figure that was busted there. But for the most part, the, the people that patronize these establishments are faceless and nameless this man and then you know what the thing is money you know i get asked like oh you want your child to be a doctor i want my child to be rich and or powerful and you don't have to be both both because money equals freedom yes and freedom allows you to do things so i don't care what my child does one i want you to be happy but i want you to be able to do things because you want to not because you have to and that is a result of being powerful or rich Mm -hmm. and to be honest you don't have to be both Mm -hmm. this ceo robert kraft CEO of the New England pa- Patriots, net worth over $6 billion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is not one thing he can't buy himself out of. That's Why right. is he not the face of sex trafficking uh, individuals who have been mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. sex trafficking victims because he has enough money to not be? Yep. Why are there so many deals? Why, Why did I hear when looking at a, who was it, a law class that all of the big deals don't even happen? I don't even have to sit off the court. Mm. Like I, all the big deals happen when we are talking about please, plea deals. Yes. yes. Why is that the case? Why is that where the why is that where the American justice system has has gone? 
Why is it to the point where I need to make sure at least I'm able to make sure there's some harm is justified and been doing that. That can only happen with hopefully them paying money. Wow. Not not time and energy for for what you did. You can just buy mm-hmm. your way out of it. Mm-hmm. Why is that the justice system? And we can't even get to the point with saying that the system is broken when it comes to, you know, black, brown, any minority people, because I don't technically think the system is broken because the system was never meant for me. I think the system functions exactly how they wanted it to function. It's, it was never right. meant for me. That's you know, right. I was not considered in this. So I won't say the system is broken. I'm mm-hmm. saying the system needs to change. Mm. Not because it's broken, just because it's, in, it's inaccurate. Yeah. You know? True. But why, what's that? Like, why is his face not everywhere? Why is his face not everywhere? How does he still have a team? Yes. (laughs) And and it's because at the end of the day, we lionize money more than people. And that's what it is. Because if you even take it back to like mental health and people and teachers and stuff like that, you can tell how much somebody values you based off of, honestly, how much they decide to spend time with you and and energy and even money, course money. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. we show what we value when you look at what gets the most time we show that we value sports players more and there's nothing wrong with that because recreation provides an amazing outlet for stress but we show that we value that you ever hear about a psychologist saying oh i have too much money no oh i don't know what to do with myself no we we show that we value people like teachers the people who do the most important job of educating our children what do we Mm -hmm. pay them not enough to even get school supplies they have to buy their own things that's true psychologists, mental health professionals. I work in community mental health because I want to, not because I came in here to get rich. But to be mm-hmm. honest, the fact that the amount of debt that people go into, the amount of debt that I am in for this education just to help people yeah. makes no sense. If we we always, you know, the big talking piece is mental health. Y'all don't care about mental health because y'all don't care about mental health professionals because you don't pay them. You don't value them. You appreciate mm-hmm. them, but mm-hmm. you don't back that appreciation up by value. And that's crazy. Wow. Is it, you know, Jesse Jansen, uh, Jesse... Jackson, Reverend Jesse Jackson coined the term political sharecropping, meaning um, for those aren't familiar with the term out there, ladies and gentlemen, it just means that uh, the Democratic Party is who he was talking about, always relying on upon black people to do the work, do the groundwork, but don't get any of the benefits politically when it comes for the government or the party to start uh, prioritizing their needs, but they want that work done even though they don't value it, you know what I'm saying? And so people were very skeptical going into this election season. And I'm bringing that up right now, Dr. Martin, because you're making me think about, is there any degree of uh, mental health share cropping amongst our community in terms of they kind of know this need exists, but they don't want to really do the work, but they're okay with you self-sacrificing and they're okay with me self-sacrificing and going into debt to, to, to be able to provide these services. You know what I'm saying? But and even emotional, even emotional debt. Cause I have never met a licensed clinical debt. social worker. Yeah. Licensed clinical social worker, licensed professional counselor, teacher, school psychologist, mm-hmm. anyone in the mental health professions that had only one job, to be honest, mm-hmm. all of us are working other jobs. I work yeah. Monday through Friday at my full-time job. I do assessments on the weekend and I also teach at two schools. Whew. Um, and it's not because it's just, oh, I just love to do it. Now, I do mm-hmm. love my job. But like, right. I like what I do. Wouldn't mind only having two out of five of the jobs, though. You do it out of necessity. You do it because Navient needs her needs the money. You do it because we decide that mental health is a priority, but the people who provide the mental health, we don't connect the dots with, they should be a priority. Mm. Look at that. Like, oh, we have the public service, public loan forgiveness, but a lot of people aren't getting approved. And then we also decide that the only way you get that is if 
you work at a nonprofit. Since when are nonprofits the only places where people are helped? Mm -hmm. Why is that a decision? Mm -hmm. How am I supposed to be present with the patient that you decide needs help? If I'm worried about how I'm going to pay my bills, Mm -hmm. how Mm -hmm. am I supposed to, and and it is sharecropping because when it comes to sharecropping, the landowner provided the land, they provided the tools and stuff like that, but you were never going to own that land. That's right. You were never going to own that land. And half the time, in addition to paying to the land, you had to give them some of your crops. So Mm -hmm. I'm doing all the work. This will Mm -hmm. never be mine. And not Mm -hmm. only that, I only let you have enough of the crops to pay me next month. Come on with it. Like, it it just doesn't make any, it doesn't make any sense. We don't, we don't really support the people that needs to, because we're not even just talking about the money, emotional compassion fatigue, working with these populations. The Mm -hmm. reason why there's such a high turnover rate is not only because of the income, but it's also because there's only so much I can give. It's only so many times you can work with a, a child who's been a victim of sex trafficking or has been neglected or abused and come home to your own child and not have that damage be done. There's only so long you can really honestly be in these realms, especially when half the stuff that you want to do, the, the company can't afford. They won't put in the time. Insurance says that's not an appropriate code to bill. Mm. So it's not because it's so much taking it on, but it's because it's so much taking it on without the outlet of being able to take it off. Like I'm able to work with you and then I'm also able to provide you with the resources to make sure you never have to go through that again. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we're given half the time. Yeah. Private practice people, people are wondering why they don't accept insurance because insurance won't pay them, sis. Insurance won't pay them. Insurance yeah. will tell them what they need to bill for. Insurance will tell them that they should get access to all of your files. And most psychologists are like, nah. Mm. why what is their mental why why do you need the intricacies of my notes with this patient wow and then the the blowback is we get told why do y'all charge so much why don't you accept my insurance mm-hmm. it's, it's like it's, it's a system that's insurance companies how wow. many black insurance how many black ceo insurance companies you know mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and you can't humanize these people because you just see them as numbers because you made the protocol to decide what was accepted and what wasn't accepted and you have never worked in mental health in your life public policy has so many lawyers Oh, wow. Making rules for what I get to bill for, making rules for codes that nurses get to do. And they're all lawyers. Would I walk into your job and say, I object? No, because mm-hmm. I don't know what I'm talking about. Right. I saw this on Law and Order. You know, like I'm not, <laughs> you know. But right. every single time I have to do a certain protocol, every time I have to say that something is acceptable, I'm doing this because someone decided that it was appropriate and they have never set foot in one of my clinics in life but you're going to tell me what's appropriate. You're going to tell me this person doesn't meet the guidelines to get tokens. How you, how do you figure? See. I once had to deny someone. I once had to deny someone cab services because mm-hmm. they took, they took um, two transfers. Like they had to take two buses with three kids that were like behaviorally, emotionally difficult. And because they did not take three transfers, they decided that, that it wasn't as difficult. They weren't deemed appropriate for the program. So they didn't get a taxi service. Hmm. You know, it's like taking a a, a a bus and taking two transfers with the, with three kids and then mm-hmm. the person was only coming by themselves, but someone decided that it wasn't tough enough for them. And I bet you it was someone who's never taken a, a, a bus in their life. Yeah. So just make it harder on people, right? Like they're doing all this voter suppression stuff. It's the system. Exactly. And like, But you know what? You know who helped to beat that system? <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, so we need to be in different realms. So I think it's amazing. Like as a psychologist, this is what I do. But most of the time I feel like when I'm in there and we're training on psychology and we're changing all this stuff, we should have been trained more. And luckily my, my school actually did a good job of this training more like, okay, okay. So we do the clinical work, but you also need to get into policy. 
Yeah. Cause that's where the changes are made. Right. We do the lead, we do the work, but I also am very interested in getting into leadership and curriculum development to make sure that I can't, mm-hmm. there's only so many patients you can work with a day, but my program will be imparted in every single school around the country. Yes. So that's what needs that. You know, we need to be in more leadership roles. We need to work face to face. And it's hard because in order to get into those leadership roles, most of the time they want PhDs. And, you know, I, I have a PhD, but I also have the debt that comes with it and try convincing someone that like, OK, I know you need a job now. Mm-hmm. But how about you go to school for six more years so that you could possibly have another job in a decade and as well as take on a second possibly day? It's hard. Yeah, possibly. Possibly have a job. So it's hard to, you know, there, I think, what did they say? Like 5% or 0.5% of PhDs in the last year were Black people. But we also have different things coming into this into this realm. And we can't, most of us can't work, wait six to eight years to, to see some aspect of money. True. And it's tough, but that's also a what? A systemic issue. Yeah. So it's like, so it's like, how do we fix it? We need to be in more leadership roles to create more opportunities for us to send the elevator down. But in order to get in these leadership roles, we have to do a ridiculous amount of stuff. I have more debt than I would ever feel comfortable talking about. It's awful. <sighs> and what do I do every day? Every day. Oh, you do such good things. You help the community. You're doing trauma-informed care. You do free webinars, right? Yes. Yes. And I, and I legit have the work, like a ridiculous amount of debt. But Look. thank you for your appreciation. I, I really like that. <laughs> no. You know, I, I'm sure I'm going to mail that to Navient. I'm sure she'll accept that. I always say she because her name is Sally May. I don't sis just because you put on a wig, honey. I still know you. I see you. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you ain't fooling nobody. You ain't fooling but, nobody. Wow. But it's like it's, if we do these realms and they, they have people do these things and they don't pay them. Right. It's ridiculous mm-hmm. what teachers make. It's ridiculous what psychologists make. I would listen as someone who was a parent. I will pay you whatever you want to educate my child because I can tell you how to teach somebody to read. What mm-hmm. do you need? What do you need, ma'am? Right, <laughs> right, yeah. Do you need a ride somewhere? Can I make you dinner? Like, what do you need? Anything. Yeah. But you so know, <laughs> it sounds like sometimes you, while you do value and love what you do. By the way, this is a. Uh, KCWG, the truth.com's program is called Psychotic Bump School. I'm DJ Rome. We're just chatting it up with this sister, Dr. Raquel Martin, licensed clinical psychologist out of Nashville, Tennessee, by way of Philly, by way of Baltimore, by way of, uh, well, where are we in now, Tennessee? Yeah. Yeah, where are we now? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Do the ends sometimes justify the means, Dr. Martin? Because while you can appreciate being in the position that you are, you do understand that a lot of what we do ties in politically to a lot of policy that have an adverse impact on us to, to be able to do what we do without the, the emotional debt. I'm just going to steal that term from you because I like it that much. <laughs> We're still not... I mean, with all that appreciation and accolade that you were just talking about that you may receive for your good deeds and you, your humanitarian gestures and whatnot, the, you, you still aren't getting the, the relief from the emotional toll, the spiritual debt that incurs from a, a repeated and cyclical downplaying and degrading of the value of the work and the position in society. You know, the priority that this society places upon uh, it's it's values i mean i know i use that word twice but it it speaks to so much i mean budgets determine our values they they're an indication of you know where we're deciding to deploy most of our resources that's what explains our values and if we're not placing a value on education and mental health we're always going to be getting this wrong and you're talking about some solutions in terms of 
uh, what'd you say? Lowering, bring the elevator down. I, uh, I was yeah, trying, getting you know, you getting say? to the top so we can send the elevator down. Oh, yeah, yeah. Getting, 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 you know, getting more of us into leadership, right? So that's yeah. one possible solution. What else could we do? So the education pieces is a big one because half of I would say at least 50% of mental health is education, knowing that you're not alone, knowing that it takes time to self-monitor and realize things. So why did I graduate high school knowing that the mitochondria was the powerhouse of the cell, but not knowing what to do when I exhibit significant anxiety symptoms? Why is mental health not more so in the schools? And I'm not talking about schools into the point of like, there's always like a circulating school psychologist who's doing assessments. I'm talking about why are there not, why do we not have reading, writing, arithmetic and mental health? Come on. I learned I learned how to bake a quiche in, in high school. Why the freak? I can Google how to make a quiche, honey. I didn't need that. I know I have a pillow that I sewed. You know, like, what? Who am I sewing pillows for, ma'am? Why? But you're really Why good at it now, though, aren't you? Yeah, but who am I sewing a pillow for? <laughs> I can't give that to my patient. But it's the intrinsic. It's not about the money, right? It's about the intrinsic satisf satisfaction of being able to do something with your hands and being able to create something, isn't they that? They don't need that. The with teens need that to a certain extent, but that could also, that's an elective, okay? I, and, you're, and you're, you know how like Black History is February and it's a part of the elective course, mm -hmm. but 1776 is part of the, no matter what, that's what you get. Oh, true. So if you want to delve into the intricacies of these things, yes. But when it comes to core curriculum, mental health needs to be there. And uh, when it comes to that, that's like a top-down issue because I don't know the, the, the intricacies of what decides to, what gets decided on the curriculum, right? I'm assuming it's like a school board thing and it's also like a, mm -hmm. you know, like a superintendent thing like that. But I don't even mm -hmm. know that. So that's something that like teachers and psychologists and mental health professionals need to, licensed mental health professionals need to align with. But we mm -hmm. do need to be in more leadership roles. But in order to be in more leadership roles, we need to be given the leeway to actually take the time to build that CV, right? Like we have to be able to give time to externships and postdocs and they don't need to be unpaid i don't need to be worrying about my bills there's this amazing opportunity you can you can be the assistant to the president it's a free opportunity though and you're gonna have to do it for a year well i just missed out on an opportunity because you didn't show that you really need and you know and i needed that experience a lot of people who get to be in these high hierarchy of realms are because they were able to take all these unpaid internships or low-paid internships because money wasn't an issue for them yes and now they get to be in those rooms that we don't get to be in because networking is key Yes. But if it's, if it's a choice between doing this amazing externship and this amazing free thing where I get to work hand to hand with my hero, or it's the fact that I got to work at Chick-fil-A to be able to pay my bills to even go to school, I'm going to have to mm -hmm. choose Chick-fil-A because this is my livelihood and I don't have backup. It's not because I didn't want to do it. It's because I can't. That's right. That's right. Because I was thinking that it's like, first of all, I, I agree with you. Um, someone else uh, was on the show talking about we need more of us, you know, discussing and working in the area of public policy. And we also need people on school boards. And you're talking about, you know, as a clinical supervisor or clinical director of where you are, how many other, how many other Black people are you seeing in that position where you are? One, and if more could do what you're doing, you know, aside from the fact that not all of us have doctorates, but could, are you seeing an equal emphasis on that qualification? for non-black people like you said it's like if you're connected oh. and you're worried about money you don't nope. have to you don't have to have a doctorate to get into those high positions but black folks feel like they got to be super educated and twice as good and thrice as good as yeah mind you this is just the this is just the ceo's nephew yes like what yes yes it's so ridiculous how no i don't see it because i think people don't take into account 
the fact that I can't, it's like, oh, well, this person's CV looks way better. They have way more experience. Yeah, they have way more experience because they got the opportunity to do all these unpaid things. And this other person couldn't afford it. It doesn't mean that they're smarter. It just means the thing that you respect and the thing that you lionize when you're looking at these CVs and these resumes is that you want to see that line, that next line that says you did this, did this. This mm. person doesn't have that line because they were working. But the fact that they were able to work and put the, and you shouldn't need this aspect of it, but the fact that they were able to work and put them put themselves through this process and do all that also shows an aspect of being able to manage it. But we don't look at that. All they'll say is this person mm. was underqualified. Right. Well, let me let's get into the fact of why they aren't qualified. What opportunities right. do they have to do something else? How much mentoring do they have in the community? How many right. people how many people do they have other black psychologists to be like, hey, FYI, or other black superintendents or other black vice principal to just be like, FYI, this is why I did it to get here. Don't do this. All right. I know somebody <laughs> who was hiring this position. You don't even need to get this second master's. We can streamline you into this. Like if there's not that many people of us in the room to get the job. It's, it's a maladaptive cyclical pattern. If there's not enough people to, to in the room doing it, then we also can't mentor other people to get there next to us. And then it's also the fact that there's always this pressure when you're in this world to also get back and do things like that. But then you also have to work the side job because you're not making enough money or you took on so much debt to get to this position that yeah. now you have to do more than possible. So there's only so many people you can mentor. Like it's just... Mm. So there are resources and there are other ways. There are people who, you know, one of the things that you can do is if you're in, the, in that space, actively look for someone to mentor. Don't even wait till they come to you. Dr. Raquel Martin out of Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you so much for joining us. What's the best way for people to access services, access support, and if necessary, uh, even access you if they need that kind of support? Dr. Raquel Martin, what can you tell us? Yeah, so um, you can... Uh, find me on TikTok and Instagram, Raquel Martin PhD. Uh, also www.raquelmartinphd um, when it comes to interviews. Um, there's a contact form to contact me. Well, that's our show, y'all. Psychotic Bump School is the place where education and entertainment meet at the intersection of funk and soul. My name is DJ Rome, and you know we're here every Monday evening from 5.30 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pacific time. Check back with us. We shall return next week. Also want to thank our very special guest for the evening, Dr. Raquel Martin, licensed clinical psychologist out of Nashville, Tennessee. And of course, the good sister, Dr. Natalia Fuller, sex therapist as well as psychiatrist out of Atlanta, Georgia. Also want to send a very special shout out to Frank Starks, who is the Iron Man behind the board. And we're out of here, y'all. Take care.